Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. There were so many things that happened leading up to November the 11th, 1975, uh, that involves the Americans and puts the American finger in the Australian pie, um, that it's hard not to believe they weren't somehow involved. On November the 11th, 1975, Australia's Governor-General, John Kerr, famously sacked Gough Whitlam as Prime Minister. That in itself was scandalous enough, but then reports began to emerge that Kerr didn't necessarily come to that conclusion by himself. Allegedly, nefarious actors were the ones who really wanted him gone. The CIA. But there's more to the narrative than just that. In the late 2010s, a second group of nefarious actors were also reported to have wanted Whitlam's head. The Crown. Particularly, the Queen, her secretary, and the now King, Charles III. My name's Cam, otherwise known as Mr. Mitchell History. I'm a history teacher by trade, and in this episode, PY and Ben join me in breaking down the multiple conspiracies behind the Whitlam dismissal. If you haven't seen our last episode on Whitlam's three years in government, I'd recommend listening to that first for context, but it's a free country. Well, actually, maybe not if we sell you on the CIA theory. We recorded it the same day as our last episode, so unfortunately, just like last time, my audio is a little echoey, but Ben and PY sound fine. And we kick right off on November the 11th. Well, may we say, God save the Queen. Because nothing will save the Governor-General. So last week, we left with Malcolm Fraser blocking supply. So, Gough Whitlam can't get done what he wants to get done. If you're Gough Whitlam right now, strategically, mm. what would you do? It seems like it's pretty uh, it's pretty doom and gloom for Gough mm at this stage, knowing what's going to happen to him. <laughs> yeah, I feel this is where legends are made, and I feel you know, that's, that's, <laughs> this is why he's he's in office and I'm not. Really. It's, it's the moments in the clutch where he, uh, can he get it done? I'm, I'm eager to hear. I'd love it if in Parliament they had like survivor alliances, like you can blindside, so you play like a hidden immunity idol and wow. the bill doesn't actually get yeah. through Parliament. Some um, cutaways to like... <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, when they're doing the individual interviews, <laughs> talking through their game plan. I reckon they could make a Survivor-esque doc, like a like the test. Hidden immunity idols. Yeah, you could make that for <laughs> Parliament and have everyone with their own cutaway. But it's not what Gotham did. So, constitutionally, can do a couple of things. There's a double dissolution, where he intentionally lets the Senate block him twice and gets the double dissolution. Both houses are dissolved again, and they have yet another election. Not looking great for Gough Whitlam so far, electorally, because he's on the back of a few scandals. And so, Fraser's made up a lot of ground on the polls. It's not looking good for him. So he doesn't want to get rid of the entire government and go to elections again. Second option he has constitutionally was something called a half-senate election. So, we actually don't vote for all our senators in one go. So, we only vote for half of the senate at a time. May 2022, when we voted in the federal election, we were only voting for half the senate. Unless it's a double dissolution, where both houses are dissolved then we vote mm-hmm. for the entire senate so sorry do we vote when do we vote for the other half so the other election six-year terms for wow. senators yeah so okay. yeah so you're only voting for one half of the senate every time so golf whitlam he goes can we ha-, ha and he constitutionally he's entitled to this i don't know much like i'm not great with my law but it is in the constitution where golf whitlam is allowed to have a half senate election where we only vote for half the senate and Whitlam suspects that that will give him the numbers that he needs to topple the Liberal Party in the Senate. Because he's thinking a lot of people are going to vote Labor because they want to see laws get done. And mm-hmm. so Whitlam, he, after all, he did win the 74 election again. And his campaign to get re-elected back in 74, he basically didn't campaign at all. He's like, just the same as last campaign. We're just going to continue doing what we told you last time that we're going to do. If you like what we're doing, vote for us. If not, you can vote Liberal. And so he's confident that in a half-Senate election that Australians are going to primarily vote Labor because even if you're in a blue ribbon seat, you want to see Labor be able to govern and you want your parliament to actually function. That's what he's thinking. Governor-General John Kerr's got other ideas. now. So this this time it is the Governor-General. It is the Governor-General. Wow, how exciting. The Governor-General, it's a bit of a grey area constitutionally. So most Governor-Generals basically treat their role as though they're the school captain of primary school. Mm. Wow. Yeah, symbolic representative of the school don't really have any power you guys what you guys any guys school captain i was vice captain uh huge touchy uh, touchy subject but yes logan was a great athlete and athleticism does get you far in primary school and not to disrespect his other qualities a great man no doubt i think i wonder how he's going impressive effort from ben to get that vice captain role yeah a lot of yeah, a lot of top candidates, and you must have had a good speech. Uh, I remember my my slogan was mm. was doing my best for BBPS. Mm. Wow. So yeah, perhaps that yeah sort of that sort of rhetoric stuck in people's minds as they, <laughs> as they went to the polls. I had a shocker in primary school. I didn't get. There was like five prefects, captain, vice captain, went for it. Didn't get it. Did you get top ten? Did you get on the podium? Yeah, I had a speech. I had okay. a speech. My mum was my mum was away when I had to write my speech. Ooh, so not ideal. I didn't write off. Just I had to go. I had to go there. all by myself, which was unheard of, really, in that at that age. I I didn't even get top ten. So yeah, says so some solace. Were there. you a house captain? No, and I, I had also the easy, missed out. On I had house the easiest captain. house to like cook. Like yeah, uh, that was the easiest house. Anyway, for, for our listeners. We had a system, we all went to the same primary school, I'm a few years older than these guys. We had a system where we kind of had like Miss Universe reveal of the school captain. Yep. So you would have your top 10 
And I remember chatting to a guy called Robbie Wilson. He's absolute prophet of a bloke. <laughs> he was like, why would you run a run for school captain? Nothing there is fun. Do you like doing speeches? Do you like not sleeping in on Anzac Day? Like, oh, <laughs> and he, he was like, I'm like, yeah. And now he's engaged to a super famous TikToker. So you kind of saw... Good for him. Yeah, saw, saw where the tide was going. Yeah. But... Yeah, basically, we had a Miss Universe reveal where we'd have the top 10 and then the top five would be selected. Mm. And then you would progressively reveal from least prestigious prefect to school captain. Yeah. And the school captain would have a speech. Pre- Everyone would have a speech prepared for if they won. Wow, I can't <laughs> believe you've given me this honor. Anyway, there's a guy called Keegan Mason in my year. Nerd, so nerds versus jocks. We were completely okay. outnumbered. I was in the nerd faction. <laughs> he represented the nerds in mm. the last five. So everyone's like, hey, he's going to get least prestigious prefect. No. Jock gets it. Jock gets the next prefect. Jock gets the next prefect. Wow. That leaves a nerd versus a future Socceroo for school captain. We're thinking Keegan can get the job done. Unfortunately, he fell just short. That being said, he is in the Young Liberals. He's quite high up. And this podcast isn't the most sympathetic towards the Liberal Party, but he's a very nice guy and he could be a future Prime Minister of Australia. I'm calling it out right now. Wow. He's very high up in Young Liberals. That's cool. Launching off vice captaincy. Yeah. So, are we talking as high as Barclay McGain? Or oh. well, McGain's done. He's yeah. He's Cancel. over. Like he wasn't <laughs> when he reached his heights. Wasn't, <laughs> wasn't he campaigning for One Nation, like the Queensland yes. state yeah, election? How the, how the mighty have fallen. Yeah. Um, I, he's. I think his aspiring career is over. So yeah. yeah, I think and Keegan Mason's a much more presentable face. He's very very charming. Yeah. Very he remembers everything about you when he chats to you. Anyway, I like the house captain kind of role, looking after the sport. I like the idea of primary school houses and your house colour being a part of your personality, mm. similar to how zodiac signs <laughs> work. So, like, from you, I'm getting a lot of red house energy from you I right was, now. I was red house. Yeah, yeah. I could say He's that. A... <laughs> <laughs> well, just the labour tinge. Of <laughs> well, John Kerr, basically, he was of the school. It was more of the Keegan Mason school of thought. And I'm going to say his name because he will be famous one day. And when you are Keegan, thank us for giving you your initial brand recognition on the podcast. <laughs> but basically, he actually viewed Governor General as having actual authority. And by all accounts, John Kerr took himself very seriously. Now, Whitlam was the one who appointed John Kerr. But John Kerr basically, from as far as we understand, went around talking about how important he was. His wife did die when he was Governor General. And people have spoken about a behavioural change that occurred in John Kerr during that process. But... Yeah, as far as we have accounts of, a lot of people in the inner circle don't speak particularly highly of him in that he thought of himself to be better than everyone and actually thought that Governor General meant he had power. And he kind of liked to lord that power over Gough Whitlam, telling him I can sack you at any point. I'm not a constitutional lawyer. I'm far from an expert or anything like that. As far as I understand the constitution, it is the equivalent of the school captain firing the principal. Like That's mm. the level of, of power that he perceived that he had. So, where does he come into all of this? Well, he can now finally enter the ring. He has the license to sack the government if he wants to. Now, of course, something special has got to happen for for him to do that. And so, the constitutional crisis, when Whitlam can't get his laws through Parliament, this is Kerr's time to take action and to be the hero that Australia needs to resolve the issue. Whitlam, if you remember, he proposed the half-Senate election. That That was Whitlam's idea. So on November the 11th, 1975, ironically, Whitlam says, we will remember this day, but not for World War I and for the truce, but for him being sacked. Whitlam goes to the Governor General's office. So he goes to John Kerr's office and he goes saying, I'm going to propose a half-Senate election. He rocks up at the office 
opens the door and he sees Malcolm Fraser there. Mm. Wow. Opposition leader, not good news. Is that sort of like walking in and your partner having an affair? Kind yes. Of thing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, that, that's precisely what it is. Wow. Whitlam meets John Kerr and John Kerr gives him a letter, opens the letter, and I'm sure you can imagine what the letter says. You are fired. Effective immediately, you are no longer the prime minister. Who's the prime minister now? Fraser. Fraser. Mm. But Fraser doesn't have a majority in parliament. Mm. So theoretically, right, to be the prime minister, you're the leader of the majority in the lower house. So it's this really bizarre situation where Gough Whitlam is the leader of the Labour Party and the Labour Party is the majority party, but it's Malcolm Fraser who constitutionally, and I guess lack of a better word officially, is prime minister. So. Confusing. Yeah. Yeah. Really sticky situation. So he's fired as prime minister, but not as leader of the majority party. Yes. Now, how can Malcolm Fraser get any laws done? How can, like, if Gough Mm. Gough Whitlam couldn't govern, how on earth could Malcolm Fraser govern? Like, he he can't get stuff through parliament. Now, in Australia, we have power divided between three areas. So we've got parliament, that's the legislature. We've got the judiciary, which is the court, so high court. And then we have the executive, which is cabinet. So we don't need to pass through parliament a law saying we're making an alliance with China. We just let our foreign minister kind of like take care of that. Mm-hmm. So Fraser can still do that. And that's where Fraser has his power. And Kerr's basically like, you've got temporary power until we have another election. And for Whitlam, it's terrible because he's not only had scandals, but he's now the fire prime minister going up against Fraser, who for most of 75 took the moral high ground and decided not to block supply. So this is the sticky situation we're into. And this is heading into the election that's coming up. So, 1975, and we've got the constitutional crisis. Whitlam gets sacked. uh, And basically, he makes his speech uh, on the doors of Old Parliament House saying, well, may we say God save the Queen because nothing will stop her now. Or nothing will save her now, I should say. Um, And he's really angry. And he's kind of galvanized a lot of his voting base. And his voting base are really angry because an elected prime minister has been sacked. Interestingly... The Senate haven't been told that Whitlam's been sacked. This is all happening on November the 11th. So Whitlam hasn't told his Senate because he's just in shock and he has, he's not great with the mayor management side of things. Mm. So the Senate don't know. So when they get the supply bill that's come to them, they approve the bill. So Labor Party signs off on it. Liberal Party signs off on it. The Labor Party would not have signed off on it if they knew it came from Malcolm Fraser because they weren't told mm. that, that Gough Whitlam had been sacked. So the Labor Senate signs off on Malcolm Fraser's new supply bill as the Prime Minister. How long was the... How long until they found out that he was sacked? That afternoon. Okay. Yeah. So it was like... It wasn't like a few days or a few weeks. No, no, no. This is all that... This, this is all happening November 11th. Yeah, the okay. same day. Yeah, yeah, huge day. Yeah. So interestingly, so that, that all happens and supply gets through, news breaks, huge scandal that our Prime Minister for the first time ever has been sacked. Hmm. Elections around the corner. I believe it's like a couple of weeks away at this point. They've got like five or six weeks to campaign, if I'm not mistaken. And again, it's not great for Whitlam going into it. Very interestingly, Whitlam, on November the 11th, was planning on making a speech to Parliament after he went to John Kerr. In that speech, he planned on showing how a guy by the name of Doug Anthony, so he was the leader of the country party or the national party that it is today. No relation to Mark Anthony. Who's Mark Anthony? I feel like from he's on Ju- a... From Julius Caesar? Like, that's Mark Anthony. I feel like there's Mark Anthony's on a Pitbull song. So we're just going to edit out the last <laughs> few minutes. We got sidetracked chat- chatting about Pitbull. So Gough Whitlam 
basically is planning on exposing how a guy called Douglas Anthony is part of the CIA and has connections to the CIA. So Whitlam says that Douglas Anthony is funded by the CIA and controlled by the CIA. And so basically outside parliament, he goes, unlike the country party, we're not funded by the CIA. Huge, huge accusation to make against someone. Mm. And so he says, basically, he'll be able to prove it in that session of parliament. Whitlam doesn't get that session of parliament because he's been sacked and he's got to deal with the fallout. And so this is where the CIA coup starts to come in. And this is where the, like, you've watched the Friendly Geordies video on the CIA coup. Yeah. Do you remember anything from that at all? It's just a lot of fast... I feel like I don't retain it was a much. Long, it was a long time ago that that video yeah. came out. I, I no like. doubt was very convinced at the time. But. <laughs> like, I love Geordies. Uh, probably half of you guys listening came from that friendly Geordies video where literally he shouted me out for talking about primary school memories. <laughs> That's how I found out <laughs> I that you had a YouTube channel. Yeah, true. <laughs> These boys didn't know until that Geordies video. <laughs> As you can see, we haven't quite waived that addiction to talking about primary school. So basically, right... I love Geordie's, but in his videos, often he moves so quick, he's like, bang, 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 and I end up retaining no information at all. And I feel like I've just had these truth bombs dropped on me. So we'll break it down and we'll try and be as slow as possible. Going back to last week, why did the CIA hate Gough Whitlam? Okay, I was thinking, what's that pine punch? <laughs> because, oh, um, yes. because there was something to do with the Australian equivalent of the CIA. Yeah. They gave information to the government, which also had information involving the CIA. Yeah, exactly. So the federal government raids ASIO and ASIO information shares with the CIA. Whitlam is potentially not going to renew Pine Gap for all the CIA knows. Thirdly, Whitlam's kind of had a go at Richard Nixon for bombing North Vietnam. So CIA at this point, and he's also out of Doug Anthony for being related and being involved with the CIA. And Pine Gap was the the base that the CIA yes. the CIA had in the Northern Territory. Yeah, exactly right. So all of this is going on, and so rumors start swirling that Whitlam has been basically ousted by the CIA. Mm-hmm. So basically, a couple of pieces of evidence here: the guy called Christopher Boyce. So he. <laughs> <laughs> no relation to Cameron Boyce. I don't, I don't. <laughs> Who is Cameron Boyce? Who's Cameron Boyce? Leg spinner. A lot of this podcast is people asking if someone's related to a Sheffield Shield cricketer that I've never heard of. So, Christopher Boyce, he worked for the CIA. And according to Christopher Boyce, the CIA referred to John Kerr as their man. He actually has an interview. Do you guys know Ray Martin? Mm-hmm. The, <laughs> the radio host. Not related to Ricky Martin. <laughs> <laughs> the 60 Minutes guy? The guy's like, no. Yeah, yeah. Six, yeah. Grey hair. Yeah, I shouldn't say. Um, <laughs> he was a young journalist at the time. And so he interviewed mm. Christopher Boyce. And basically, Boyce starts kind of just spilling secrets about the CIA. So they refer to Kerr as our guy. They wanted Gough Whitlam gone. He made the argument that he accidentally received misrooted cables that basically said, we need to get Whitlam out of here because he's not going to renew Pine Gap. So that's what he's making, the claim that he's making. Is he credible? Well, he did get arrested later for selling secrets to the Soviet Union. Now, you might look at that and like, okay, so he's kind of lost credibility. According to Boyce, he said he did that because the Whitlam thing started to make him become disillusioned with the American government. And so he actually started to turn against the CIA. Wow. 
Oh Sorry, I just thought of Ben's Ricky Martin joke again. That's <laughs> really, Mark, the crescendo of podcasting. Yeah. Have you guys heard of Jimmy Carter? Yes. American president? Yes, not yeah. Jimmy Carr, the yeah. British president. <laughs> <British lady. laughs> yeah, so Jimmy Carter, he was the president of America in the late 70s. Jimmy Carter, according to Ray Martin, and according to... Uh, I can't remember his precise role, but he had some involvement in the Whitlam regime. According to this advisor, which I, I can't remember, quite remember his name, Whitlam and this guy met with one of Jimmy Carter's key advisors. Okay, so there's a couple of degrees of separation, but mm. Whitlam is there and he's present during this meeting. According to this guy, Jimmy Carter and his, well, his advisor, speaking on behalf of Jimmy Carter, said that America will never intervene in Australian politics again. Mm. Wow. And it's that keyword. Inferring that they already had intervened in the Yes. Past. And Jimmy Carter is well known as a president that kind of got America to back off a lot of places in the world. So in America, he's not highly viewed. He's seen as someone who mishandled the economy in the late 70s. And a lot of the rest of the world, a lot of the rest of the world really likes Jimmy Carter because he kind of stopped American interference in their country or pulled it back a whole lot more. And so that's what one of Jimmy Carter's guys allegedly said to one of Whitlam's guys, with Whitlam being present at that meeting. More evidence. It's a guy called Clyde Cameron. So he was in the Labor government during Whitlam's time. This one's, this, this one's in the Friendly Geordies video. Mm-hmm. So Clyde Cameron was meeting with the American ambassador, Marshall Green. Now, Marshall Green had effectively made reference to America taking part in a coup in Indonesia in the 60s. So... In Indonesia, there's there's a coup. Sukarno is ousted by a guy called Suharto. And basically what Clyde Cameron says, or what he infers, is that when he was chatting to Marshall Green, who's the US ambassador, Clyde Cameron kind of floated the idea of Australia nationalising its resources with Rex Connor. According to Clyde Cameron, Marshall Green said to him, if you did that, then we would just move on in. Inferring that like they would do what they did to Indonesia. So yeah. if you were to national, so this is, this is quite Cameron. This isn't some like background stuff. This is a sitting member of Australian government who's made that accusation. And that's the one that features in the Geordies video. How does the CIA, is there any more evidence that the CIA is involved? Kind of. So there's a bank called Nugenhand Bank, big in the seventies. How do they get involved in this? Well, the Liberal Party's got to beat, like, it's not just that Gough Whitlam's fired and now Liberals get to govern. They still got to go on and win the election. And so to do that, they need money for campaigning. And typically, the Liberal Party's always had significantly more money for campaigning than the Labor Party has because its donors are much wealthier than Labor donors. And you typically, their interests serve, or their policies serve the interests of wealthier classes than Labor donors. Mm. So what happens is Nugenhand Bank launders $24 million into the Liberal Party for the 1975 election. And so... You can read this. It's in a guy whose name's John Pilger. He's a journalist for... He was with The Guardian. Now he writes for Independent Australia. Mm-hmm. That's Michael West. Like yep. he's... Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Big yeah. Fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he writes for Michael West's newspaper. Um, John Pilger has... He's the one that's making this claim. John Pilger also backs up the whole idea of Kerr being the CIA's guy. Pilger says he has sources that have said the same thing. And so right now, I'm starting to get a bit of a web of nothing in isolation is strong enough to suggest a CIA coup. But each little bit here is adding up to something a little mm. bit bigger. Ray Martin, so again, works for Channel 9. Mm. Who owns Channel 9? Costello. Yeah, that's uh, him. 
Uh, Costello, former Liberal Party member, mm-hmm. like Nine Fairfax, not pro-Labor in any sense of the word. Mm. Ray Martin is so, pretty... To put it kindly. <laughs> <laughs> Ray Martin is pretty sympathetic to the idea that Whitlam was ousted with a CIA coup. So it's, it's branded as conspiracy territory. When you put all the little bits of pieces together, there's a bit of a compelling story. Would it be enough to rule decisively in a jury? Maybe not. But there's definite reason to suspect that there were nefarious powers at play. Gough Whitlam does or did he believe that he was ousted with a coup? No. Wow. Yeah. The, the plot thickens. Gough himself. Gough himself. He pretty much batted any suggestion of a coup, he batted away. Okay. So, again, that doesn't mean anything. He might, yeah. he might have just been taking the moral high ground to get good PR. He might have had future ambitions. Like, he, was, he wanted to be an ambassador. Uh, mm. He was ambassador to was it the UN or UNESCO? He was he was an ambassador later on in life. Mm. He campaigned later with Malcolm Fraser for Australia being a republic. So he did all sorts of stuff after being prime minister. And maybe he would have completely like burned all bridges if he ran with the CIA coup theory at the time. Mm. But according to our best sources, he never really entertained the idea that it was a coup. Yeah, was it like pretty suspected? At the time, it's not. It didn't come out kind of years later. Yeah, it was, it was. Yeah, exactly. It was suspected at the time. Yeah. And so remember, before he gets sacked, like the last thing before he gets sacked is he says, "I'm going to expose how Doug Anthony's involved with the CIA," and he never gets that chance. Mm. What his evidence was, we don't know, because mm. he kind of just stopped talking about it after his dismissal. So Labor loses the 1975 election. Fraser wins. If Whitlam wasn't sacked, would Fraser have still won? Probably. So John Menager, the guy that was on Friendly Geordies, mm-hmm. he has gone on record and said, yeah, we, we would have lost anyway. But nonetheless, that's still an extra... It's 74 was when the first election was when the term started. That takes him through to 77. That's an extra year and a half to change the, the change the tide. And also at the same time, a year and a half to enact more reforms. And Whitlam doesn't get that chance. Mm. Was it the CIA's doing? Well, Maybe. I would lean towards, you can probably guess, I'm leaning towards, yes, mm. but I can't quite get the conclusive proof to have it beyond reasonable doubt. Mm. It's kind of confusing, like, th- it seemed like the CIA's interest to get Whitlam out was that he was just kind of upsetting them. It wasn't as if they were, like, upset at the 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 things that he was bringing into Australia and the policies he was bringing into Australia. Mm. It was just that he ruffled some feathers. Yeah. And that's definitely partially it. Like if you think back to the ASIO raid and the letter he wrote to Nixon, they were really personally offended at that. And Kissinger was known for holding grudges and being pretty petty in office. But there was like the the Pine Gap thing was really important. So they did want to have control of Pine Gap going through to the seventies. I think given that you were talking futuristically at the time and they're staring down the barrel, they don't want a trend of, they want to send a message to Australia that if you don't walk in line, you don't govern. And that's why people call America kind of a puppet empire. Technically it doesn't have colonies. Well, apart from like Mm. American Samoa, um, (laughs) RIP 31 nil. Uh, (laughs) Like technically it doesn't really have colonies. It's had the Philippines, but not in practice. In reality, Seems to. And it seems to play a pretty big role in its most... We, we would be America's most loyal ally. Mm. I don't think of any other country in the world that Britain didn't fight in the Vietnam War. We did. Mm. Like, I can't think of any other country that is more loyal to America than Australia ever has been. 
and even Canada, I'd say even Canada, I think we're we're a more loyal and more trusted ally in the eyes of America or have been than than Canada. Yet they're getting rid of our politician for stepping remotely out of line. What's happening there? I can't quite again. I don't quite have the documents to prove it, or we didn't have the documents to prove what was going on. In 2020, we got a little bit more evidence. Oh wow! And that's where we're going to look at the crown. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So, Pele, last week you mentioned that the Gulf Whitlam dismissal wasn't in the TV show, The Crown. Yes. We are going to reach the royal family now. You have a favourite Crown episode? Favourite Crown episode? Mm, tough question. Potential spoilers. Yeah. I isn't like... It, isn't it a historical recount? How can you... <laughs> True. How could we spoil it? I feel like the one of the most moving episodes was when... Was it Abafan? Abafaf? Abafan, where there was this, this horrible kind of... Um, I don't know, landslide in, in Wales. Wales, yeah, and um, just sa- seeing how the the show handled that that was that was a moving show. The Queen doesn't come across very very positive in no, that episode. No, Harold Wilson, the Prime Minister at the time, does. Yeah, he's seen in quite a positive light. Mm. But yes, maybe the episode that they were, they are in Australia and True. have lunch with. Bob Hawke, oh. also a good one. <laughs> and it's not at the cricket. I can't act. Yeah. <laughs> does he sink a beer or does he, uh, does he withhold? No. they um... Good Australian accent. Yeah, he gets. I think he gets the Hawke impression mm. right. Mm. Well, the Crown does seem to have played a role. And this is less conspiracy theory territory. This is pretty well proven. The Crown did play a role in Whitlam's dismissal. Now, theoretically, the Governor-General is the representative for the Crown in... Australia, in the same way that the school captain is the representative for the students to <laughs> the principal in, in primary school. <laughs> Couldn't be more true. <laughs> um, that's that's John Kerr's role. He's the representative from the Queen. Now, the Queen often boasts of being politically neutral, okay? Neither Conservative nor Labour in, in England and doesn't interfere in other countries' politics. That's kind of the Queen's long stance. Comes to yep. Whitlam, doesn't really seem like that. Mm-hmm. So, 2020. A woman by the name of Jenny Hocking. So she's a historian and has written stuff for the Whitlam Institute. She's pretty pro-Whitlam and unashamedly pro-Whitlam. She tries to get access to John Kerr's letters. Now, theoretically, they're over 30 years old, which means any government document is declassified after 30 years. That's the Australian law. She was take the National Archives took it to the High Court saying that John Kerr's letters were personal rather than government documents. So they should never be declassified. Hawking went through this whole ordeal, took them to the High Court. Gough Whitlam's son, if I'm not mistaken, was the barrister. Mm. So, yeah, 
like pretty like that's wow. nepotism. That's conflict not... of interest. <laughs> What's um, his name? Ah, oh, I'm I'm just gonna go with Daryl. Yeah, Daryl. Yeah, um, so he's the barrister who prosecutes the case for why we should get the wedders. So like that's got to be an amazing amazing biopic there. Def like that's that's a movie in of itself. Like <laughs> filling his father's <laughs> legacy. There's a conflict of interest. Sure. Well, yeah, well, I said that, but mm. is it? He's not. He's not the judge. He's not the judge. So he's, the, he's, the, he's just. He's fine. He just believes in what. Yeah, he's, exactly. What he's fighting yeah. for. So. He's, so he must believe that there's a coup. Yes, there's a coup. and he's pretty sympathetic to the idea, and it's more so for England than America. Yeah. But yeah, basically, and so he's this, he's a pretty good barrister. It's just quite like a Harvey Specter like figure, right? He's a very effective barrister. Yeah. Really they win the, the gold standard. <laughs> he's a closer. He's a closer. The best, in the the best city. closer in. <laughs> so yes, Jenny Hawking runs into Mr. Whitlam's office with a bag of weed and unfortunately opens up, and then the the case goes from there, right? So. Um, she's running. Oh, sorry, <laughs> I, I missed the part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, like, I, I thought the suits analogy dogs? had ended. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, they win. They win the court. They win the court case in twenty twenty, and so they now have access to the to the letters. Within a year, Jenny Hocking churns out a book called The Palace Letters, where she analyzes all the letters. So pretty pretty quick turnaround on her part, and she goes through all the different letters. I think there's something like around about thirty letters as well. So she gets access to these letters. Now. On the surface, there's nothing too incriminating. If you read between the lines, though, there's some, some pretty big issues. The first one is that the Queen's secretary is a guy called Martin Charteris. He, he does feature in The Crown. Mm-hmm. So whenever you hear The Queen, it's like roughly season three, like yep. refer to Martin. This is the guy. Yep. He's, kind of got, he's got brown hair. He takes over from Tommy as the personal secretary. He's of the Queen. like there in early season one as well, right? Yeah, he might like be actually, yeah. Before she became Queen, he was the guy as well. I think that's correct, yeah. yeah. So he's been he's been around a long while, mm. and basically he's kind of got a bit of golf, a bit of John Kerr syndrome as well, mm. where he wants to go above the symbolic power that the crown has and try and transfer it into real power. Mm. So there's issues with him. There's also issues with Prince Charles. So mm. when are they not? Yeah, well, yeah, that's <laughs> so, so should season five of the crown, like yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah problem. <laughs> yes, and so at the time back then, Prince Charles met with John Kerr in Papua New Guinea. John Kerr discussed the fate of the government and he predicted that Whitlam would be out of a job. And basically he was like, there's going to be a huge issue where Fraser's going to block supply, which ends up happening, and I'm going to have to take action as the governor general. Grossly misusing his job title. Again, imagine the school captain <laughs> basically going to the Department of Education <laughs> and talking about their principles in a work. Like, it's just like, it's not your job description to do that. And it's actually a breach of trust you are supposed to do the will of the prime minister, not rat on the prime minister to the crown. Mm. So this is September of 75. So this is pretty early on in the picture. We then have John Kerr writing to Martin Charteris. And in these letters, John Kerr basically discloses what happens at cabinet. Confidentiality. You're not supposed to reveal what happens at cabinet sessions, right? As governor general, that's not your prerogative to do so. Yeah. And what so, happens in cabinet stays in cabinet. <laughs> <laughs> Quite literally. And so uh, John Kerr, basically, he can't keep quiet. And a lot of people have said this. So there's a woman who used to do the portraits for the people in Parliament House. And she would often try and get them talking because it would relax them while getting the portrait done. And this is on, you can find this on ABC's podcast, The 11th. Again, we're not okay. the most sympathetic to the ABC. Yeah. It is a really good podcast. Would recommend listening to it. You get, you get a lot of the details about Whitlam's life. In that podcast, the portrait woman, I can't remember her name, 
she basically makes the accusation that John Kerr said way too much to anyone and everyone. So he would disclose what's in cabinet to these people while he's getting his portrait done. We have in writing him explaining what's happening in cabinet to Martin Charteris, talking about what's happening with senators and all that sort of stuff that, that shouldn't be revealed. So he breaches cabinet confidentiality to Martin Charteris. The other issue is that Martin Charteris then directs John Kerr to a Canadian lawyer and a Canadian constitutional expert called Eugene Fawzi. Issue here, if you're a lawyer, you are typically an expert in one law, one, one country's law. Mm-hmm. So Harvey Specter, sorry, <laughs> if he came up against Scott Whitlam's son, I'm, I'm, not, back, yeah. I'm not back in Harvey Specter yeah. there. A, a prime Malcolm Turbill would wipe the floor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it's a bit of an issue. You got a British dude pointing an Australian governor general to a Canadian dude for advice. The British should stay out of politics. That's not not their job, the Crown, to point us in the direction. Like, we have our own legal system. We have our own constitution. Yes, it is based off British law. And yes, we've inherited British law. But we do have our own legal systems and constitutions. Eugene Fawzi does not even know about the half-Senate election in the constitution. Not ideal. Yeah. So he's a constitutional expert. And he points Kerr towards the advice of, like, dissolving the entirety of Parliament, sacking the government, but he doesn't know about the half-Senate election. Has no idea about it. And so, it's pretty clear in the Constitution. Like, I can't remember what section. I made a video on it where I put the section up. Mm. So, it's it's a huge issue because he doesn't know a pretty basic thing that you can just read in the Constitution. Like, Mike, give Mike Ross, like, an hour <laughs> and a half, yeah. and he's got it off memory ready to go. So... He then points John Kerr in the direction of getting rid of everything and dissolving Parliament, sacking Whitlam, and starting again. Again, gross misuse of the Crown. The Crown is supposed to stay out of our politics, not point our people in the direction of any particular person for any outcome. Why does the Crown not like Whitlam? Well, he wants to get rid of the British roots. Scrap the scrap God Save the Queen. Get rid of the knighthood system. It's it's symbolic change. Yeah. It's not it's like it's nothing outrageous, especially compared to what he does with the Americans, but they don't like the direction that he's taking Australia in, and they're pretty keen to have a more conservative Liberal Party member. Now, Fraser actually isn't a huge monarchist. He'd later become a Republican, yeah. but the Liberal Party has typically been much more receptive to retaining the monarchy than from separating away. Hmm. Doesn't take much to get them offside. It feels like there's, like, why... It feels like it's all just kind of ceremonial. Mm. But why do the Crown care so much about these ceremonial... Like, British roots, you said. Yes. Well, what, what, like, the Crown doesn't have actual power. All it's got is ceremonial power. Yeah. So, its limited power that it does have is still being chipped away. If Australia leaves the monarchy, they're potentially seeing a domino effect where other countries leave the monarchy and leave the Commonwealth. And then who's the queen the queen of? Just the 60 million mm. Brits. Not the entire world, so yeah. to speak, in terms of how far it stretches. So like, yeah, the idea of the, the colony does actually mean a lot to them. Yeah, exactly. And though they don't retain any actual colonial power. And I'm mm. saying, I was born in Britain. I'm, I'm a Brit. Like, yeah. mm. in, I go for England in the ashes. So <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> it's not as bad as the CIA. And if we could prove what the, what the CIA did what the Crown did doesn't stack up against the CIA. Yeah. That being said, it is still a misuse of power and they're not fulfilling their political neutrality obligation as a constitutional monarch. 
So, yeah. That's... Wow, eh? And there I was thinking Lizzie was untouchable. Uh... <laughs> well, and how much does Queen Elizabeth know about this? That's mm, the question. Sure, right? yeah. can say. It's, it's her secretary acting on her. She's busy traveling a lot half the time. Like, Martin Charteris deals with so much stuff that would never go through Queen Elizabeth. No doubt. How much does she actually know? And so people often use this as an argument for why we should be a republic. Uh, be a republic, and it's like, yeah, basically the queen interfered with Gough Whitlam. We need to have our own political system so that the queen can't do that. I'm not weighing in on the re- Republican monarchy debate. I think it's a bit of a detraction anyway. Mm. But at the end of the day, if the CIA did what they did, it wouldn't matter what the system of government we have because they don't have any hard power. It's all soft power. And if they actually did do a coup, which I'm inclined to believe, then we basically are sitting ducks regardless. And I don't think the system of government really influences that. Wow. A lot to take in. The final point was he wishes to assure you that there will never again be interference in the Australian political process. So there we have it. What do you reckon? Was Whitlam's dismissal the product of foreign interference or not? Let us know on the Mr. Mitchell History Podcast YouTube channel or at Mr. Mitchell History Podcast at gmail.com. There's two ways you can support the channel. Number one, you can support us on Patreon for just $1.50 and gain access to all sorts of bonuses such as the podcast Discord, extra content from myself, Ben and PY, and even the face behind the giraffe. Just search up Mr. Mitchell History and if you've never used Patreon, it just takes two minutes to sign up. If you're short on cash and listening on Spotify, just clicking the star and giving us a rating out of five will also help us get the podcast out there. Next week, we're looking at the rise and fall of Saddam Hussein's Iraq, and I promise my audio will be fixed.